You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God is going to continue the work that He began in each and every one of our lives in spite of ourselves. You see, simply, they were going to be a great people because God set His love on them and He blessed them spiritually and He sent His Son to be their Savior. And isn't that true of us as well? It's the exact same thing that God did for each and every one of us. Pastor Mike shows us that there are many lessons we can draw from the story of Abraham. Today, he reminds us that Abraham didn't do anything to earn his blessings from God. God chose to bless Abraham purely out of grace. This theme is recurrent throughout the Bible. The Old Testament is full of stories of people who don't deserve God's grace, but he gives it anyway. The same is true of us under the new covenant of Christ. We don't deserve God's blessing, yet He makes it available to all through Christ. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 12 as he continues his message, God's I Wills. He was 75 years old, that is Abraham, but Sarah was 10 years younger and barren at that. How, I ask you then, do these facts agree with this promise? I will make of you a large nation? This means that his descendants would be a great and numerous people. But where are the descendants to come from? Since Abraham's marriage is childless, these huge masses of unbelief and these high mountains which could suppress his faith completely. The holy patriarch overcomes and crosses by faith. He simply clings to this one thought. Behold, God is promising this. He will not deceive you, even though you do not see the way, the manner, or even the time of the fulfillment of this promise. So something to think about. But now... Getting back to this promise, being unconditional, as it relates to Abraham, think about this. Abraham, after God speaking to him and making this promise, could have protested and said, well, God, suppose I misunderstand your leading or get out of your will. Folks, let me tell you something. As we read on, we're going to discover that that's exactly what happened. He got out of the center of God's will. Or how about he protested and responded in this way? God, 
How about if my descendants become idol worshipers? And he, of course, he's referring to Israel, right? He was the father of Israel, of that nation. And wasn't it true that at one time or another, unfortunately, time and time again, not just once, but several times, they had turned their backs upon God and went after these false gods. And they began to worship these idols. So, in fact, they did bow down and serve false gods. They did. And then he could have protested and said, suppose my people become so hardened against you that they crucify your son, which is exactly what they did. Now, how would God respond to those replies of Abraham? Simply, he would say, and again, I'm thinking about now the unconditional promise of God to Abraham, the unconditional promise to you and to me. Nevertheless, he would respond and say, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great people. I will make you a great person. The unconditional nature of God's promises. It doesn't depend on Abraham's ability to understand or to perform or his descendants living up to his expectations. Aren't you glad? God is going to continue to work that he began in each and every one of our lives in spite of ourselves. You see, simply, they were going to be a great people because God set his love on them and he blessed them spiritually and he sent his son to be their savior. And isn't that true of us as well? It's the exact same thing that God did for each and every one of us. And of course, Abraham didn't see all of this, so it is to his credit he believed God and acted on his belief by beginning to leave his land. And so, you know, you read the promises in the word of God, you, you don't see the fulfillment of them immediately. Nevertheless, hold on to those things, you know? Don't detour off of the straight and the narrow. Stay on that steady course. Go forward. God is going to complete the work that he begun in each and every one of us. You can be sure of that. And it's not based upon your performance. It's just simply because of the fact that God has set his love and his grace upon each and every one of us. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Let's get Pentecostal. <laughs> hallelujah. All right. The third I will. Notice, let's go back to our text in chapter 12. He says, I will bless you. That's what God said to Abraham. But listen, God wants to bless you as well, you see. And a person is blessed when because of the gracious working of God, things go well with him, and whatever he or she puts their hands to simply prospers. Now, someone may be thinking, well, are we talking about every aspect of my life? Yeah, you bet. I'm talking about every aspect of your life. Why in the world would God bless me? And the answer to that question, I mean, there's nothing that warrants his blessing. There's nothing in me that commends myself to God, right? Oh, because I'm so wonderful, God chose to bless me? No, I, I don't think so, really. You know, really, the truth of the matter is if, that, if I was God, I would put me up for adoption, rather. <laughs> so why bless me? Simply because he chose to do so. It's just grace, folks. That's the way that God deals with men. 
It's this grace, the unmerited favor of God. So we want to move a little bit quickly here. Okay, the fourth I will. If you're keeping up here now, let's go back to chapter 12. He goes on to declare, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, taking on the mere surface of this promise, think about this. We're just simply talking about the name Abraham, the greatness of that name. How many have taken the name Abraham? Think about it. Jews, you know, name their children Abraham. Christians are always looking for names, you know, with biblical characters and with hopes of that their children will fall in line with these great, you know, characters of the Bible and men and women of of faith, right? We name our kids Elijah, like my son Elijah, right? So how many have taken the name Abraham? Jew, Christian, but not only Jew, Christian, but also Abraham is a Muslim as well. There are many Muslim families who name their children Abraham. They recognize Abraham as someone who was used by God. But the greatness of the name does not consist in the number of people who have been called Abraham, but rather what the name represents and stands for. Literally, Someone who has exercised faith in God. And that's the reason why. And by the way, that's in the questions. Abraham was considered a great man. What was it that made this man so great? Well, there's the answer to it right there. He was a man of faith. Okay? So now you got the first question. So everyone needs to go to that home Bible study. Everybody will think that you're a scholar. Okay? But that's what it was. And that's what it represents. That's what it stands for. He was someone who had placed his faith in God. And we amplified that point when we were first introduced to Abraham in last message. But then notice he goes on to declare, and you will be a blessing. Now, later on in chapter 17 and verse 4, as God continues to make these certain promises unto Abraham, he says that you will be the father of many people or of many nations, indicating, and this answers the question exactly how was it that Abraham would be a blessing. You need to think about it in relationship to him being the father of many people or many nations, indicating that through Abraham's, his greatest descendant, who was Abraham's greatest descendant? It would have been Jesus, right? Blessings would come to all and every nation, that is, who call upon the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You see, the blessings of Abraham is the blessings of redemption through Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 in verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of of the Spirit through faith. So anyway, so how does this relate to you and to me? Well, listen, even as God chose to make Abraham a blessing to all people, to all nations, God wants to use you as his instrument to bless other people. Keep your eyes open. Make yourself available. I'd encourage you. You've heard me say this many times before. This would be a good way to start your day And I know all of you start your day in prayer, right? You know, just as you pull yourself up out of bed 
and I'm just sitting on the side of my bed. My wife usually, well, we, we alternate getting up and getting my, my handicapped son, uh, my special needs son, Elijah, up and ready and all of that. So we alternate days and stuff. But when I get up, I'm sitting on the side of my bed. My wife is still asleep because I got to get up real early to get everything going before I even go upstairs and get Elijah ready to send him off to the workshop to get him breakfast and dressed and all of that. But this is the way I begin my day. God, use me today and help me besides all of the other things that I'm praying for, like provision, safety for my family, blessing for my family. And I mention each one of them, all of my children, my wife, and then whatever God has laid on my heart for people that I'm praying for right here in the fellowship, people who are sick, people who have become injured or, or whatever, I ask God to help me to be a blessing to someone else today. And listen, I tell you something. You start your day like that. You can be sure that God is going to answer that prayer because he's looking. His eyes go to and fro across all the earth. He's looking for those individuals through which he can show himself strong on our behalf, right? On the behalf of Jesus, actually. He wants to do a work, and he uses human instruments to do that work. So God wants to use you as his instrument to bless other people. Keep your eyes and your hearts open. And then finally, and I'm going to join these two last I wills together. Notice, let's go back to our text in chapter 12. He says, I will bless them who bless you. So that would be the fifth I will. And then whoever curses you, I will curse. So that would be the sixth. So there are six I wills all together here. Now let, let's go back and address these. You know, God's people, as far as it relates to Israel, right? God's people have never lacked for enemies. And throughout the centuries, right up into the very present, Israel as a people and as a nation have been fighting for their very existence. Isn't that true? All of the nations around them, right? They hate Israel, right? And that's the devil's doing, no doubt about it. But notice, so God says, I will bless those who bless you. Now, I'll draw the conclusion to this in just a moment, so bear with me. But notice, this also suggests that some would be friendly towards Israel, towards Abraham's descendants. And let me tell you something, God takes this very seriously. Those who bless Israel would be blessed. Those who curse Israel would be cursed. God takes this very seriously. Like, for example, God destroyed the armies of Egypt, Pharaoh in the Red Sea, who cruelly enslaved and mistreated Israel. In contrast, when the Jews invaded the city of Jericho and finally crossed over the Jordan River to inhabit the land that God had, first of all, promised Abraham so many years before, now it's actually the fulfillment of that promise. And the first city of conquest was the city of Jericho, right? So remember, before actually entering in or actually walking around the city, before the walls fell down flat, Remember, Joshua, who now had taken over from Moses, who was now the general of Israel's army, sent out certain spies to spy out the land. And so before the Jews invaded Jericho, and during which time where he sent out the spies, were introduced to a prostitute, a harlot, whose name was Rahab and her family. And because, remember, she had heard about all of the marvelous and supernatural things that God had done for his people Israel, parting the Red Sea, providing for them so wonderfully in the wilderness for those 40 years. 
And she knew that the inhabitants of the land of Canaan were looking for these spies because news had come back to them concerning them. And so remember, she hid the spies in her home, right? It's recorded for us in the book of Joshua, by the way, in chapter 6, verse 25. And so because of her hiding these spies, blessing Israel, if you will, her family was preserved and blessed because she befriended them. And in the book of Joshua in chapter 6 and verse 25, and we are told, And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out the city of Jericho. So God blesses those who bless Israel, his people, God curses those who curse Israel, his people. You know, I'm thinking about our own United States of America and how blessed we've been. Why was that? I think because we have opened our arms to persecuted Jews throughout the centuries, as well as other minorities as well. Now, I'm not taking any political stance here, so don't misunderstand where I'm going. I'm just giving you an example here. But history shows this to be true. God blesses those who bless his people, curses those who curse his people. Think about this. When the Greeks overran Palestine and desecrated the altar there in the temple in Jerusalem, they were soon conquered by Rome. And then when Rome killed Paul and many other Christians and destroyed Jerusalem under the Roman general Titus, Rome soon fell. And then how about as another example, Hitler's Germany went down after his atrocities that were made against the Jewish people. Blessings and cursings. Now, to tie all of this message together, just one last thought, okay? Moving on, it's inferred here. Notice, he says, I will give your offspring this land. When he initially made this promise, he had no offspring whatsoever, Abraham had absolutely no clue what land he was referring to. He just says, get out from your homeland to a place that I will show you. He didn't name the place. He didn't say, I'm, he didn't say, I'm taking you down to Miami or, you know, South Beach or whatever. You know, it was absolutely an act of faith, you know, and he moved by faith. And so if you think about it, then all of the promises that he made were rather for Abraham's offspring. And I can't help but think that we are connected spiritually to Abraham as one of his offspring. Spiritually speaking, right? He is the father of faith. We would also even today refer to Paul in his New Testament writings, referred to Abraham as the father, his father of the faith. And so I'm thinking about this, and it dawns on me that at the time these promises were given, he had neither offspring, nor either had he had any land. It wasn't until many years later that God, by grace, gave him a son, and then the only land that he ever possessed is where they laid him in the grave. So all of these promises were made to his offspring, and then they possessed it. Gang, this is where I'm going with all of this. 
These are God's promises that were made to Abraham, but they are our promises as well. Because spiritually speaking, remember, we are Abraham's offspring. And Abraham's God is our God. And as far as it relates to the promises, there are numerous promises, thousands of promises that are recorded for us in the Bible. Let me just focus in and zero in on one of them in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11. And I hope and trust that this is your present experience. And this will be the final cross-reference. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11 and verses 28 and 29, Jesus says to you and to me, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, how do we respond to that? Jesus isn't here. He's not standing before us, giving this as a personal invitation. There's no audible voice, you know, extending this invitation to any of us. Well, listen, Abraham obeyed in the same way that we're required to obey. Abraham obeyed not because he could reason it out. He exercised faith in the nature of him who stood behind those promises. And let me tell you something. God is absolutely faithful to perform that which he has promised. Gang, listen. Take him at his word. So if there's anyone here who hasn't come to know the Lord as his personal Savior, he'd extend this invitation to you. It's universal. It's open and available to, and he doesn't say, there's no requirements. He just says, come unto me all. I love the invitations that are given to God. They're universal. Come unto me all, not some or a certain class, rich or poor, educated, uneducated, black or white. No, all. John's Gospel in chapter 1. As many as believed, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God. As many as believed, not a few or some, but as many. If you will, just come. That's it, you see. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, not some or a certain class, but whomsoever would believe in him would have everlasting life, would not perish and have everlasting life. And so... The invitations of God are universal and open, and he extends them to each and every one of us today. So I don't know everyone that's here. I don't know if you've ever made that decision. But all of these I wills, all of these blessings that God had promised Abraham, that as we will discover in our future studies, he fulfilled to the very letter is exactly what he wants to do in each and every one of our lives. But you see, it's all predicated on believing in having faith in, and inviting Christ to become the Lord and Savior of your life. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcast. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house. <laughs>